where I used to think it was probably 90% technique or 10% the other stuff, I think it's probably flipped. And it's mm-hmm. probably 90% making the choice to compete, making the choice to play hard, understand the game. And But you can have the best swing, the best mechanics. And if, if you don't believe you can win, if you don't believe you can compete, if your mental game isn't strong, it won't matter. Welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I'm Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for being here. Today we're joined by Rob Cooper, head coach at Penn State University. Rob opens up the doors for us to see what they do year-round in their program. So we have some great discussion about practice design and more specifically batting practice. But he also goes in depth with how he builds and maintains relationships with his players. It is so humbling to hear a Division I head coach say that he is constantly learning and growing. And I love this conversation, and I think you will too. So here is Rob Cooper. Coach Cooper, thank you for joining us on the show today. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks a lot for having me, Jonathan. Of course. And thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to, you know, come on the show and share with us. And and really looking forward to this since the last time that, that we talked about, you know, coming on. And, and so for our listeners who would love to hear a little bit of background of, you know, where you are today and, and how you got to Penn State and, you know, what your what your background is. I know before we hopped on the mic, you're one of the uh, you're a Sac City alum, which I feel like all great, great baseball guys are, it, it, it seems like. But talk to us about, you know, just a short snapshot of how you got into coaching. You know, currently I'm the head baseball coach at Penn State. Uh, I've really enjoyed this journey that, that baseball's taken me on. And, and you're, you know, as you mentioned, I was, I was fortunate. I grew up in Sacramento, California. I went to El Camino High School and played, played baseball there. And then, you know, to have a place like Sacramento City College with a coach like Jerry Weinstein, Paul Carmazzi, those guys running that program. You know, I got a chance to basically take a master's, you know, program or a doctorate program in baseball in a lot of ways in baseball coaching as a player at Sac City. And, you know, I was never one of the better players. I was a very below, below average player. And I knew pretty quickly that, you know, um, I would, I, I wanted to coach. You know, I came from a, a family of educators. My dad was a college professor. My mom was, you know, our, li- our media technician, uh, librarian at the, at the elementary school. And, and so I, I knew pretty quickly that I wanted to be a coach. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to play for Jerry Weinstein, who then, you know, opened up uh, a door for me to go to the University of Miami because he felt like it would be a, a, a great fit for me. But more importantly, it would help me kind of get into that, you know, um, division one high level baseball that, that I wanted to be a part of. And so I basically went to the University of Miami to be a student coach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then when, you know, Jim Morris came in, I, you know, I, he didn't have to cut, he didn't have to keep me around or, or, or make a role for me, but he did. And, you know, I was able to, to get my master's degree there. And then I had an opportunity to move on to Wake Forest and be the number two assistant at Wake Forest. And, you know, we all, we all have our stories about coaching. I'm sure where you, you know, you don't, you're not coaching because of the money for sure. You're coaching to get experience and, and to learn and, and to, you know, to basically start, you know, working on your craft. And so that, per, that job at Wake Forest that I took, it was the number two position. And at the time they didn't pay it, but I, for me, it was a chance to get on the road recruiting. It was a chance to, to be on the field, you know, on the field, uh, working with players and, and to be in the ACC. And so I was there for one year and, Fortunately, I was hired uh, by Rick Jones at Tulane University, where I got a chance to learn, you know, from a, a guy who's a an ABCA Hall of Famer, and and then my, you know, I was lucky enough that the other assistant coach was Jim Schlossnagel, so got a chance to work with him, learn how he does things, and and you know, from there I had an opportunity to go back home to Sacramento. You know, my mom's health wasn't great at the time, and so Jerry offered me a chance to come back and coach at Sacramento City College, and. You know, Andy McKay was was coaching there as well, and and we were teammates together at, at at Sac City, and and you know, best man in each other's wedding, and and so I got to coach there with him, and and with uh, you know, kind of the get back to back to my roots a little bit, and did that for five years, and my mom's health improved, and I was lucky enough to be hired by Rob Walton at Oral Roberts University, and then from there, kind of stumbled upon the head coaching job at Wright State, and you know, was there for nine years as the head coach. And because we had really good players and really good assistant coaches and administrators, we, we were able to really turn that thing around and get that thing going in the right direction. And, and then, you know, I just finished my fifth year as the head coach at Penn state. So 
that's a you know it's kind of a thumbnail scratch of my journey but uh, I've been very fortunate to be around some really good coaches that also are are high character type people as well absolutely fantastic and so you're saying Jerry Weinstein, Andy McKay, Jim Schlossnagel, Jim Morris. Now, what are some of the commonalities that yourself and all of those guys have in common? You're a very successful Division One head coach, and all of those guys have been either successful Division One head coaches or, or in pro ball as well. But what's something that, that kind of stands out between what separates guys that are successful at those levels and guys that may not be? I, I got to make sure that I throw, you know, I, I know I mentioned them both, but, you know, I would definitely throw in Rick Jones and Rob Walton into that too. Mm, uh, true, because true. before Rob, you know, before Rob Walton became the uh, associate head coach at Oklahoma State, you know, he had a very successful career as the head coach of Oral Roberts. And so, and, and I, and I say that because, you know, I, I, these guys all taught me different things. I mean, but what I'd say that the common thing that I think runs through all of them, uh, especially the ones, you know, and, and if you notice, all of them had sustained success. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I think number one, it was, you know, have being li- a lifelong l- learner, uh, always wanting to, to learn and, and become better and, and, you know, to, to adapt w- with the times, adapt with the players, but never at the expense of what your core beliefs are. And I think you, you couple that with, treating the players correctly and, and forming, you know, re- authentic relationships with them. You know, I think that's pretty much the thing that I picked up the most from those guys was, you know, Hey, look, we're, you, you never sacrifice your core beliefs and nothing's going to be greater than the team, you know, but yet you got to be willing to adjust. And you got, and you know, a lot of those guys, Jerry Weinstein in particular was, you know, I, I'll never forget probably the, the, one of the very first things I learned about coaching is, you know, Jerry said, look, you, you can't coach guys the same way. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, some guys are too busy patting themselves on the back, so you need to kick them in the butt. And some guys are too busy beating themselves up, and you need to pat them on the back. And so, you know, I, I just I think being able to realize that there's different ways to reach guys and not one way, it, it, there's no cookie-cutter way to do this. Uh, and it sounds like, you know, every program, every great program – Penn State included and the ones that you've been around has been and Wright State and, and all of those have been player player centered. But that's fantastic and I love to hear that and, and that's an approach that I, I hope is gaining traction. And you know, today we have the the old school approach versus new school and, and these kids these days, but it's you know, like you mentioned, it sounds like great coaches adapt with the times and uh and I love that to hear, you know, Jerry Weinstein's stories. You know, he's if if I could have a Mount Rushmore of coaches, he would be on it for sure. And and so it it's so good to hear a guy that I don't want to say is older, but is definitely more seasoned and has been through a, a ton of a ton of different players and a ton of different generations to be able to say that, you know, you've got to coach everybody different. That's that's so refreshing to hear. Yeah, again, I I mean I just I, I I'm very, very fortunate that I was able to cross paths with so many of the, the people we just talked about. And, you know, that opened up doors to learn from others. But, you know, to be able in my backyard to have a, a man like Jerry Weinstein and, you know, it's to this day still like when people, you know, find out that, oh, you played for Coach Weinstein, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, it's a cool thing. And, you know, I, I say this all the time and he, he disagrees with me every time. But, you know, I think I look at everything that I have, you know, baseball's given me a lot, a lot. You know, everything that I have that I feel like is really important and sacred in my life, you know, my family, my wife, opportunities to represent the United States of America and, and, you know, Team USA to, Mm -hmm. you know, I I got to go to Cuba with our team here at Penn State. I got, you know, I went to Rio. I I became an ordained minister all because of the game of baseball and coaching. And and I, and I can trace it all back to a guy like Coach Weinstein, who, you know, again, I, I'm not kidding around when I say I was not a very good player. I was Mm -hmm. a below average player, but yet, you know, Jerry, the, the stories, if you've ever heard the stories about the first day of fall practice at Sac City back in the 80s and 90s when, you know, there was 65 guys out there the first day, it, those are true. But Jerry never cut anybody. It was you basically cut yourself and you weeded yourself out. And so if you were going to work hard and, and make a positive impact on the team, then you, you know, you you would always have a home on the team. And so, you know, I tell people this all the time, you know, about this for a second, you know, when you have a that, and, and don't get me wrong, he wanted to win. We won. We won a lot. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you think about it, he recognized my value 
to the team and he recognized me as a person. And that's why he, he felt comfortable enough to pick up the phone to, and call, you know, the University of Miami, who he had sent numerous really good players to right. and said, you know, hey, this guy's going to be a coach and I think he can be a great coach and he needs to be at a place like Miami. And, you know, if he just had looked at me at what my batting average or my impact and the statistics and win losses that were that way, um, that would have never happened. So, you know, it, to me, it's a, it's a big part of, of why I coach and, and what, what I'm doing. I love it. And I, I think that hopefully most coaches that are listening can trace their why back to somebody like that and, and somebody that had an impact on us, like he had an impact on you and like you're having an impact on, on the boys that you get to coach now, the young men. But let's uh let's go ahead and get into the practice segment. So you guys uh, report in, I'll, I'll say the fall, it'll probably be August or September. Now, what is what does a typical week look like for you guys? Uh, I know you guys will have some pretty strict time restrictions, but talk to us about how you guys get the most out of those. So, you know, it's funny. I think one of the things that, that I, I try to always make sure younger coaches know is, and this is going to tie back to your question, but, you know, when I first started coaching, it was, you know, I wanted to learn every drill. I wanted to learn. And, my, you know, I was naive enough to think, hey, I can – I can make that guy a better infielder and that guy a better hitter, you know, because I, I can just flat coach the X's and O's and the technique, and that's all there was to coaching. And and those are things that are still important. I think you're always trying to learn a different way to, if there's a better way and a, a way to do it, you got to be willing to to learn it. But what what I've tried to do, and I'm constantly trying to tweak tweak it, and you know, and that's that when we first get together in the fall, it's more of where are these guys at now? Where is that individual at? You know, what does he understand? So, for example, one of the first things we're going to do this fall is instead of just jump right into, you know, individuals with the hitters is we're going to actually have each hitter get in front of the coaches and and and, and some of his teammates. And, and basically it's going to be, hey, Johnny, you, you have just been hired as the as the hitting coach here at, at Penn State talk to us about what your offensive philosophy and how you would teach it and, and everything. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to guess that there's going to be some guys that are going to have a pretty good idea. And then I'm going to guess there's going to be some guys that are like, well, what do you mean? And it's to get an idea of what they know. And, and it's also for us as coaches, because some of those guys that are returning are probably going to have, are, are probably not going to really have a great way of explaining it. And that's, that's on us as coaches. We have to do a better job of teaching it. So we'll get in there and, and start doing that. And then we'll start individuals. But, you know, the typical fall day when we are in team practice is, you know, our guys are up in the morning lifting at six as a team. And, you know, it's a, just like anybody else, we try to make it as competitive and tough as possible while also making our guys stronger and healthier. We usually have some, some early work around two, you know, one, one thirty, two o'clock. And, and those are with select guys. Uh, and then we get into practice, uh, at, at three o'clock and we usually go from about three to, to five forty-five. And, and, you know, for us, the thing that we try to do a lot in the fall being where we're at is, yeah, we're trying to put in basic bunties and basic picks and basic cuts and relays and, and things like that. But there's no guarantee that we'll actually be on a baseball field again until we play our first game in February. Mm-hmm. So we try to play as many inner squads. We try to do as many simulated games. We try to give these guys as many game-like looks uh, as possible because even though we have a, a, an unbelievable indoor facility where we can actually inner squad and play games, it still doesn't, you know, still isn't as good as being able to be outside and see how it works in the, you know, and seeing guys line up and, sure. and things like that. So, so it's, it's really starting to kind of, you know, get the basis fundamentally of where each guy needs to be at and then we're also we're spending a i mean an, an, a lot of time in fact you know we bait last year we purposely did not practice out like physically practice on a tuesday the entire fall and we just used that time for leadership culture mental game and you know it's it's something that i think is you know because if if you really think about it at the end of the year, when you sit there and you go, okay, why did we have a good year? Well, we had a good year because guys really, I mean, they played hard, they competed, com- competed, they they had leaders. You know, you don't ever really sit there and go, you know what, we we won because we did the one hop drill in the cage over and over again. You don't sit, or or vice versa, you don't sit there and go, well, we struggled this year 
and you, and it's not because we didn't do enough enough of one drill. It's usually because well, we didn't compete enough, or we we didn't have everybody bought in. And so, I think when I go back to what I said earlier about you know being naive, you know, when I first started coaching, it was all about X's and O's and technique, and and those things are still important. But you know, I think it's more I think it's it's more the other way where I used to think it was probably ninety percent technique or ten percent. The other stuff, I think it's probably flipped and it's mm-hmm. probably 90%, you know, making the choice to compete, making the choice to play hard, understand the game. And, and, and then the technical part of it is, is, and the X's and O's and technique, you know, fall right into it. But you can have the best swing, the best mechanics. And if, if you don't believe you can win, if you don't believe you can compete, if your mental game isn't strong, it won't matter. Oh, definitely. And, and I love to hear you say that. And, and so. Would you mind, you know, kind of taking us through what a a Tuesday would look like? So for the guys out there that are listening that are like, man, Coach Cooper is on fire right now. But, you know, what is some content that he goes over on a Tuesday for leadership training? Can you kind of take us through that a little bit? It will vary. I mean, some of it is player driven. Some of it is driven by our, our you know, at Penn State, we're very fortunate to have a, a man named uh, Dr. Carl Olson, who, you know, served in, in, the, in our military and graduated from West Point and but he also ran the sports performance institute at West Point. And so some of the, some of the best sports psych people in, in athletics all worked for, with him at West Point. And so he works for us now and, you know, he's, he comes in and, you know, he'll, he can talk about leadership. He can talk about mental game. Um, some of it's led by me, but, but, you know, we typically try to break it up where, we may start it off by showing a, a video clip or two of, of something in the game, like an example of a guy playing hard uh, or an example of, a, of competitive spirit or, or something like that. So the guys visually see something we're talking about. And it can even be a clip from one of our games where, okay, hey, look, like this is an example of, you know, you did this well, but we could do it even better. And, and here's why. But And then we get into, you know, starting to teach techniques of the, you know, of the mental game. So it's been a rough week for me. I was, I was very close with Ken Revisa and, mm-hmm. and obviously his, his passing has been, you know, tough for all of us that knew him. And, and, you know, I go back to all the guys that I was lucky enough to, to learn from, you know, 21 year old baseball player who knew he was going to be a coach. And for that guy to take, you know, kind of, you know, mentor me and, 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 and let me into his world, I'll never forget. And so, you know, the breathing techniques, the focal point, um, the flush technique, the things that you, you know, it's real easy as a coach to tell a kid, you know, a player who's, who wants to do well, who wants to please. And then they, they fail. And, you know, then you're sitting there, if you're just sitting there going, Hey, don't worry about it. Well, that's, that's pretty simple. And, you know, but to actually give them, Hey, you like, let's take a deep breath and then let's let it out. Let's, let's have something that we can go to that visually and, and mentally allows us to flush it away and get rid of it. You mm-hmm. know, uh, let's have a focal point that can slow everything down for you that you can put your attention on so that you can compete on the next pitch. We want to do everything we can to let go of that past pitch and compete on the very, very next pitch. And, and, you know, what I find the most with young players, especially in this day and age of, you know, instant gratification and, and guys getting on their phones or, you know, whatever they, mm-hmm. I mean, they can get information at the, their fingertips. They, if they're bored, they can be entertained quickly if they, so the attention for them to stay on something is hard. And so when you have a kid who's never had adversity, who's never struggled offensively or pitching wise, their first thought is, well, I got to work hard mm-hmm. or I got to, I got to fix my mechanics or I got to see it on video or I got to get on the T or I got, and those are all great things. But if the real problem is you can't slow the game down or you're, you know, you're, because we know it's science, you know, it's, it's proven scientifically that when you're speeding up um, and your breathing quickens, you know, your breath quickens and, and you can't slow things down and you're, you're mentally not present. We, we know that it causes you to make bad decisions, which means you'll chase bad pitches. It causes you to, to not really be absorbed in the moment. It, it, you know, motor skills and athleticism deteriorates because of it. So mm-hmm. we spend a lot of time trying to give guys tools to use when that adversity hits. And, you know, 
And and look, I, I'll be very frank and, and share this with you. You know, we've struggled the last two years at Penn State. We we won 18 games a year ago, and we won 15 games this past year. And we spent a lot of time with the mental game and leadership and culture. And so a lot of people will sit there and go, well, shoot, it sure didn't pay off for you in the, win, in the one-loss column. Mm-hmm. But what I'll tell you is even though we didn't win a ton of games – you saw younger guys continue to improve. You saw a lot of guys continue to improve as the season went on. And the guys that maybe didn't want to buy into that 100%, they really have lost a lot of their voice on the team. They're not shunned. They're not, they're not cast offs. They're still guys that we need to be a part of our team. But my point is, is you really saw the culture change. And, and when you're trying to build something and you're in the middle of a process, it's important you stay with it. And, you know, I'm excited about how we can build off of that moving forward this year. And, and, you know, obviously it's a lot better when you win games and win championships. And people may think that I'm just trying to kind of put lipstick on a pig here, but I, I kind of like this challenge of getting this thing going in the direction that, that it needs to go. And, and that's, that's a lot of fun because it it means that we're, it's hard. And so that means it's, we're, we're onto something and we're, and we're, we're, we're making progress. Like you mentioned, I think we all fall into the trap uh, as a young, younger coach of, you know, coaching the X's and O's, like you mentioned. And the more that I get into it, and it sounds like the, the longer that, that you're into it, the more that, that I really just want to have an impact of the actual player. Like, I, I want to make him a better, better baseball player, and I want to win a ton of games in the process, but not at the expense of derailing a kid's life. Like, so we've got him for, you know, three or four years. And what can we do to make them a person that goes out and changes, you know, the world versus what can we do for the one to two or three guys more probably for you that go on to play pro ball and, you know, just taking that stance and getting to know the kids and helping them out with the middle game, which, which will help with baseball, but will also help out with life whenever they're stressed, take a deep breath, whenever they're, they've got some, some bad news, you know, go ahead and flush it and, it's definitely something that's lifelong, and I love to hear you talk about that as well. You know, coming from myself being a high school coach and then getting to hear a Division One coach say that, it's going to give me a lot more credibility whenever I introduce breathing this fall for sure. But something else that you mentioned that that I love, and this is one of my favorite things to do, is is compete. You know, we we compete. We want to try and make things game like, and to make things game like, try and make it a game. And uh, the minute you say competition, every one of the kids' ears perk up. But you mentioned that you guys compete in the fall. So what are some of your favorite competitions that you guys really like? Well, our, our strength and conditioning coach does an unbelievable job in, in the weight room. And, and everything is is based off of a competition, whether it's, all right, this this exercise, you know, this lift right here, you're trying to do, you know, and it's within your percentage, but, you know, you know you're trying to do this amount, you know, compare it to everybody else. You're, you know, shuttle run races or we do different things where we break them up in teams. And I, and I stole this from somebody else. This is what's great about coaching is, you know, I, I think that if, if you're going to be in coaching, you have to be willing to say that, yeah, that wasn't my idea. I stole Absolutely. it from somebody else. Uh, but one of the things that we stole from Rob Vaughn at, at Maryland was I love learning about military history. But basically what, what he told me, and it's what we do now, is we break our teams up into swim buddies, which is, if you know anything about the way the SEAL teams um, work out. I mean, when they, when they go to, to, to go through buds training in Coronado, each guy has a, has a swim buddy and you're basically accountable to your swim buddy. So if the guy goes in the water, you're going in the water with him. If, you know, he makes a mistake, you're paying the price with him. And, and so, and then they're all assigned to a boat. So what we do is we have each guy assigned to a swim buddy. We have six boats, you know, that we name different things, whether it's the Omaha boat or, the Nittany line boat or mm-hmm. we just different, different things, but then you have a boat captain. And so the way it plays out is the very first time, you know, somebody maybe if we have a guy miss a class, well, instead of just him having to pay the price, him and a swim buddy pay the price. And then the second time, if something happens in that boat, doesn't have to be the same guy, but just in that boat, then it's the guy that did it, the swim buddy and the boat captain. And, you know, you're trying to get the boat captain to take charge of his boat and, sure. and have some leadership. And then if something from that boat happens again, then it's the boat captain captain, and, and the entire boat and the guy who did it watches them pay the price. And so 
it, it's been very effective for us. But going back to the competing part, we'll divide them up into their boats and they'll compete and, and we'll do it at practice. We'll do it, you know, we'll do it with a, con- a competitive event before practice. We'll end practice usually with a competitive event. And then we try to do a lot of different things, just little things that when we take ground balls, we try to have a watch on every ground ball. So, you know, if I hit a fungo and I, what we're telling our infielders is, Hey guys, every ground ball, you're, you're trying to feel this and throw out a guy at first who's a four, two runner. So you're, you know, you're competing against a game like ground ball and having to throw that guy out. And then, you know, or in the bullpen, coach Newman will, you know, he has guys compete against each other and they're, you know, they're charting them and he'll, he'll, he'll develop a script for that day. And, you know, how many can you execute? And, you know, and then if you, Take the, the mantra of the, of the Navy SEALs. It pays to be a winner. And, and mm-hmm. so, you know, if, if you win, then you, you know, you get to embrace that accomplishment and work to get better. And, and if you don't, then, you know, again, it pays to be a loser too, but just not the kind of payment you want. <laughs> sure. So, I mean, it's, it's different things like that. And it's different. I think a lot of times guys, especially young guys, you know, when they first get here, what they think is competing sometimes isn't really competing. It's, it's not just you against another person. It's really competing against yourself to make the choice that, Hey, I may be struggling today. I may be O for my last 10, but I can choose to feel sorry for myself or I can choose to be a good teammate and give a hundred percent of whatever I got. Ken used to say it all the time. Give, give me a hundred percent of your 50%. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, that's competitive too, because you're making the choice to still compete, even though you don't feel great. And I think that's one of the biggest things that you're trying to get your, your players and, and guys to understand is the power of choice is always there. You know, you can choose to play hard. You can choose to compete. It takes no athletic ability or talent to do that. You can choose to be a good teammate. You can choose to be a winning player or you can choose not to do any of those things. And, you know, the great ones make the make the right choices. Right. And, you know, dealing with for myself, you know, 13 to 18 year olds and, and yourself dealing with 18 to, to 23 year olds and especially you, because it's the first time that really a lot of them are, are going out on their own. And so the power of choice is just, you know, once you get to college, the power of choice is, is a big, big deal. Well, also, also, Jonathan, like I think one of the things that I think we all need to keep in mind is, you know, a lot of times when these when these guys get to us. Obviously, they're accomplished players. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they've had success. And they don't play enough games. I mean, yeah, kids these days play more baseball than we did when we were younger. There's more games on TV. But unfortunately, because, again, of the uh, kind of the instant gratification, they're not really watching it or absorbing it as much to really learn the game. And so going back to, yeah, they may play a lot of games in the summer. However, they're going to – even if they go 0 for 8, like two bad games in a row, their skills are good enough where they're going to run into a pitcher at some point where they're going to have a good game and feel good about themselves. So they never really go into a prolonged time of, of struggle. And so they don't, they don't know how to deal with that. And again, that's not a criticism. It's just, it's just the truth. And so when, when, when guys get here for us, we're constantly trying to, to get them to really redefine what failure is. And that's, for, for us, it's, you know what? Failure is an opportunity to learn something. And, you know, it really means the game is talking to you. It's, mm-hmm. it's telling you that this is hard right now. And you can either choose to feel sorry for yourself and not, not learn the message and get better. Or you can actually go, you know what? So I don't, that doesn't happen again. Or so that I can get better. What is the adjustment I need to make? And so, but unfortunately, and again, it, it comes from good, a good place. Guys want to, they want to please. They don't want to let their teammates down. They don't want to let their families down. They, you know, there's a pride involved. And so, you know, instead of, instead, and so when you first tell guys, Hey man, don't be afraid to fail. We want you to fail. They look at us like we're crazy. Right. And now that doesn't mean we're going to accept failure, but it's, we need to push ourselves. We need to get outside our comfort zone so we can then learn what we need to do to improve and now, if at that point you choose not to, to, to take the lesson or, or take, you know, listen to the game talk to you, well, then that's on, that, that's on you. And, and then it is a, a, a bad result. It is a failure, but it's trying to get them to completely redefine what failure is. If it's hard, that means that 
you're on to something. If it's hard, that means that only a few people are doing it. So it's trying to get them to understand that. Oh, definitely. I, I love that you mentioned that, you know, kids want to please today. Yeah, I think kids today get a bad rep and, and the listeners know that, that I hate the, the, the kids today mentality because it feels like every generation talks about, you know, the kids are not as tough, but again, they're, they're really well informed and the people we need to look at are ourselves whenever we're not allowing kids to fail. And, and so it's so good to hear that. And it, it's probably the first time that a lot of the guys that you've ever had have ever struggled in their entire lives once they get on campus. And that's, that's a big deal. You know, it is. And, and look, I, again, just totally honest and frank. I mean, one of the, one of the things that's been very difficult for me over the last five to six years, you know, again, I wasn't a good player. I had to work extremely hard just to be below average. And, mm-hmm. you know, just like I had to create my own worth on the team and I had to create my value to the team as a, a winning player. And so when somebody doesn't play hard or when somebody doesn't study the game or when somebody doesn't, you know, uh, choose to, to get better and, and learn or, you know, compete, I struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Now, that's my personal problem. You know, that's me. Now, so I've had to sit there and go, okay, how can I connect with guys even even more so than the past? And how can I get them to see that they, they can do this and that they can get through, you know, that adversity? So, you know, I, I'm with you. I, I get I, I I get tired of of hearing the kids these days are different. The kids these days are different. Well, okay, and let's just say they are. Well, there's still ways to reach them and there's, st- and they, and they still at the end of the day want to succeed. And I look at, you know, some of the best coaches out there, guys like, you know, Tim Corbin, Brian O'Connor. I mean, you can go Jim Sloss and they will go on and on and on. Well, they're doing it. They're with them and they're finding ways to get the most out of them. And so that's our job as coaches. You sure. know, if, if, if it was just a matter of let's collect the best talent and let it all weed itself out, well then, yeah. Okay. But, you know, if you're really trying to coach, if you're really trying to be an educator, that's not the way it is. And, you know, so uh, I'm with you. I love that. So I've got, let, let's say I'm I'm a fictitious parent and I've got a son who, you know, you guys are interested in. And I said, hey, Coach Cooper, so talk to me about how you are going to help develop my son as a baseball player individually within a team setting. You mentioned earlier that you're that when you guys get back in the fall, you're going to have them demonstrate, you know, what what they would do as a hitting coach and what their approach is. And I think that's all fantastic. And I may be stealing that as well. But talk to us how you guys really prioritize the individual development there. Well, so when when I'm sitting down with a parent and and a, and a you know pr- prospect, you know pr- pr- prospective student athlete, you know, I, obviously we're talking to them about a bunch of different things. I mean, especially at Penn State, we're talking to them about a world class education, mm-hmm. talking about the impact that a place like Penn State can make on the rest of your life. But you know, for me to sit there and think that getting better and trying to play professional baseball isn't something that young man wants to do, then I'm crazy. But but I think the biggest thing that you have to try to make sure that everybody understands. And I'm very blunt with it is, you know, look, the first and foremost, my number one goal is to try to take care of you as a person, mm-hmm. as an, as, as Rob Cooper and, and not, not as Rob Cooper, the baseball player. And the other, so that means that I want to make sure I take care of you. I want to make sure your well being's okay. Not, I'm not going to baby you, but because what it does is if you know that I truly care about you, well then guess what? I can hold you accountable. I can, I can be honest with you because you, which you need to be. I can be honest with you because you know that I have your best interests at heart. And so, yeah, I'm, and, and I tell them, I'm like, Hey, there's going to be times where you don't agree with me. And that goes for the parents as well. But I want us to be on, you know, I want you to understand that every decision I make is going to be with the best interest of you within the, within the framework of the best interests of our team. And so each guy we have to assess and look at, here's where they're at right now. Where do they need to go? What do they need to do in order to help our team win in the future? And so from there, we, we try to design a plan. You know, we try to design a plan individually for each guy. This is where you're at. You know, we want to know, we want to evaluate, we want to identify what your strengths are, but we want to identify what your weaknesses are. What, what can we improve upon? And it may not be, it may not be a whole lot physically that we need to improve upon. Again, it may be, Hey, 
We need to really work on your mental game. We need to add this tool to your tool chest so you can unlock your physical ability more. So I think each guy's different. And each guy also, I think you got to look, you got to try to learn what kind of motivates each kid or what kind of pressures they have. You know, some guys, you know, they're, they don't want to fail because they, you know, they feel like they're going to let their families down, their mom and dad down, or, you know, maybe they've had some tough times in their lives and, and baseball's where they've always been good. And so now all of a sudden, if they're struggling in baseball, you know what, that's that, that person's self-worth is wrapped up a lot into it. And it's trying to get them to understand that, you know, you're so much more than a player. So I would sit down and I would explain that to the parents. Now, the other thing that I've tried to do recently, and, and, and I think it's beneficial is, and I stole this from Gary Henderson when Gary was at Kentucky, we do a, when our freshmen come in for the, for the summer session, we have a parent freshman orientation where we introduce them to the people that'll, you know, that are there to help their, their, their kids. And this is how we do things. And it gives the parents a forum to ask questions. But one of the things that I, I've started doing is, you know, I think like any other coach, when I first started, it was like, Hey, like, obviously your parents can call me if there's something wrong with you. Like if they're worried about your well being, And, but yet I kind of was always like, oh, I'm going to keep them at arm's length. Mm-hmm. Well, now I flat out say to the parents in recruiting and in that, in that type of, uh, in the freshman orientation, look, we need you and I, the parents and I need, we need to be a team. We, cause at the end of the day, we both want what's best for your son. And so there's going to be times where I'm going to call you and say, Hey, you know what? Jonathan's struggling right now. Like he's, he's putting way too much pressure on himself. He's struggling. And when I talk to him about, you know, relaxing a little bit, we try to do some stuff. I don't think he really believes me because I know he wants to impress me. I need your help in talking to him about that. Or I may call and say, Hey, look, this is how Jonathan's reacting right now. Is you got anything up for me on that? Like, is this typical or can you do a little digging on your end and vice versa? I want them to be able to call and do the same thing. And and I'm also very awesome. Like I may say, Hey, like you may call and want to ask about something and I may tell you, you know what? That's between your son and I right now. Or you may ask a question and, you know, I, you may not like what I say back, but we, we need to be a team in order to get the best out of, out of your son and have him reach his, his goals. And, and again, at the end of the day, if they want what's best for their son, truly, and I want what's best for their son, truly, why not work together? Mm, that's good. I really like that a lot. And, and so thank you for opening the doors to, you know, what you guys are doing all fall and, and building a player holistically, individually, and within the team setting. So let's talk about after winter break, you guys are coming back. And I'd, if, if you don't mind, I'd love for you to be able to take us through, you know, what a typical practice plan looks like. And one of my favorite things to ask other coaches is what their BP setup looks like. So if you don't mind, can you answer those two questions? Obviously, it's going to change. And it, it changes a lot from day to day. And it changes from where I feel like and, and it's going to change year to year. I, I think one of the things, you know, I, I think one of the things that's awesome about our sport, especially in the coaching fraternity, is you can steal ideas. You can call guys and ask them what they would do. What are you doing with this? I mean, it's happening every day right now out on the recruiting trail. You got coaches from different schools sitting next to each other. Mm-hmm. Hey, what do you guys do here? What do you guys do here? And so it's a great way to to learn. But but I also think that if I call Jim Schlossnagel at TCU and go, hey, man, I'm going through this right now with my team. What's your thoughts? He's going to give me his thoughts, but the truth of the matter is he doesn't know that he's not there every day. He doesn't know the temperature. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know where guys are emotionally. He doesn't know where guys are mentally. He doesn't know. So he doesn't know the overall personality of that, of that team. So it's going to, every practice that we do is going to change depending on where we are in the, in the learning spectrum and where we are in our development. And so you know, when we come back, you know, it's, we're going to get right back into kind of, you know, our fundamentals defensively. So we'll do, we'll do some individual defense where we're, we're, we're kind of re, reassessing, you know, or just kind of relearning kind of the basics of, you know, this is what we're doing mechanically. This is what we're doing physically. And that's going to be for a couple of days. And, but then, and, and we review all of our bunt D's and pick plays and team defense stuff. But then we start getting into just competition. And it's more about, again, like I would rather us be less skilled mechanically and technique wise, but better competitors, you know, we'll, we'll design practice around that. And, 
the reason why I'm being a little bit vague is because again, it, it changes because, sure. no, absolutely. you know, if we're inside, you know, we're inside for two and a half hours because we have to share it with another sport after or before. And, and, and it may be, Jonathan, it may be, Hey, today, these six hitters, you're going to, you're going to stay at, at our stadium in the indoor cages with, you know, coach Butler and, and, and coach, coach Burke. Uh, but the rest of you guys are going to be over and we're going to do team defense or we're going to do this. So we try to incorporate different things of where we're at while highlighting what other guys need to improve upon. But again, I, I think that's where, you know, you really start hammering home the competitive, you know, even more so, you know, whether it's game like ground balls, whether it's, um, we're going to move the screen up and you've got two strikes as a hitter, like, and hey man, it's not okay to strike out. Like you got to fight and put this ball in play. But you asked about BP. Mm-hmm. So I kind of made my name as an assistant coach coaching hitters. Okay. And, you know, I, we, I, luckily enough, I had really good players to coach and, and they made me look like a really good hitting coach. And we did some really good things offensively at, at Tulane and, and, you know, different places that I was at. And so I've always kind of had that, that moniker of being a, a strong hitting coach. Well, when I first got the job here, I got, I got a letter from Kyle Wagner, who, if you follow green light hitting at all, you know, I'd known him from his days at Wake, but, you know, he was trying to explain to me this style of hitting that he believed in. And, and, you know, I'm just a baseball coach who majored in psychology and, and dabbled in history. And, and so he was using some really big words that I didn't understand. And I said, Hey, it sounds like you're onto something here, but I can't understand it. I need to see it. And so, I was so swamped trying to get everything going and kind of, you know, just stayed with what I believed in. And so finally I was like, you know what? I need to figure, I need to go down and see what he's talking about. And so I did and it made some sense, but it was still a little bit different to me. The techniques, the style, it was, you know, I'd always been a get on top of the ball, down to level, you know, that kind of thing, you know, load yourself back, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, get your foot down early. I mean, that's how I had always taught it and what I believed in and, and, and had success coaching it. So finally I was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I said, I'm going to bring my two boys down and I'll pay you to work with them, mm-hmm. but I'm a, I want them to be the guinea pigs and I'll, uh, I can get a better feel for how you're teaching it, what you're doing. Well, it started to make a lot of sense to me. And this is something, the reason why I'm going to go through all this before I talk about our batting practice setup is because again, it's, it's, it's part of being, a, I think, the evolution of trying to be a coach. Sure. So there was a day where I couldn't take my oldest son down to work with him. So my wife did. And, and you know, I, he gets home. I'm like, hey, how'd it go? Oh, it was great, blah, blah, blah. And so I texted Kyle. And I'm like, hey, Kyle, how'd it go with Tyson today? Well, he sends me video of one of the things they were doing and of him hitting. And I thought he sent me the wrong video. Like, I thought he sent me somebody else because – I mean, it was a, it, I didn't recognize the swing. It was a really good swing, a high level swing. And that's when it hit me like smack dab in, in, in the face where it's like, there's a better way to be doing this. And I need to let, I need to drop my ego and be willing to give up something that I have always believed in. So, you know, it's definitely a hard thing, something you believed in and preached mm-hmm. and, and bought into to be able to go, mm, there's a much better way and I need to learn it. And so that kind of started me on the journey of, of, of a lot of, of kind of the hitting revolution that's going on right now in, in, in baseball. And, and, you know, I, the one bad thing about our sport is we're so slow to, you know, be willing to learn new things. And, and that's not how it used to be done. I mean, look, if Bill Belichick of the New England Patriots thought that he could be a better, that their football team could be better. And he felt like Salinas high school was doing it better than everybody else. He'd go and find out and he'd mm-hmm. learn from them. So I've completely had to rethink the way we teach hitting, how what I believe in works, and, and and things like that. So that also goes into how we do BP. And you know, my 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 thing about BP was always about confidence and comfort. And I do think that those are still important factors. But I know you had Jason Ochart on a little while ago, and he's right. Like if you're not if you're not failing in BP, then you're not doing it right. And you know, so we try to make our, our BP in practice. We do it against high velocity. We do it competitively. We do it against breaking balls that we're going to see in a game. We set up two machines and feed the balls into the, 
you know, act like we're going to feed the balls in at the same time and guys have to react. We, we do, you know, game ABs and, and, you know, it's funny because 10 years ago I'd have been like, that's crazy. Like, let's just make these guys feel good. Right. And the truth of the matter is, is that it's, that's not what you're doing in a game. And with the arms getting better and better and everything, you're, you're crazy not to. I mean, look, the Houston Astros minor league teams don't even hit on the field anymore. Hmm. And, and it's because they, they take them through this, you know, game like competitive ABs. It's not your let's feel good front, you know, front toss flip or coach from 50 feet away throwing, you know, 45 feet away throwing the ball at 60 miles an hour, you know, where we can all hit that. You know, it's, we're going to try to mimic what you do in a game. So because your body will organize itself, you know, to do that. Now, sure. where you have to, where you have to, really teeter that line is you have to educate your kids on guys are going to go and start doing those drills early. And they're going to be like, they're going to swing and miss. They're going to be bad. And it's, you're going to see their, you know, they're just going to be like, this is, this is hurting me. And you're trying, you have to educate them on why we're doing it. You have to educate them on the goal. Isn't success right now. The goal is to learn how to do this in, in, you know, in a game like situation. So, Mm -hmm. so we've, we will set up like our BP routine. We'll, if we are, if we are hitting on the field before a game, we'll have, we'll have a pitcher. Like if we, if the scouting report says that we're facing a guy throwing 92, 93, well, we bring the tape measure out. We move the, we move the, the L screen and the box up to, and we have it all, you know, we have the formula where we put it in like, okay. And we have a radar gun. And so our, our BP thrower will throw a pitch. And if it's, if he's throwing it in there at, you know, 55 miles an hour, then. It, we we determine how close we have to be so that it mimics more of a, a 92, 93 mile an hour fastball. And we'll have rounds where we mix in sliders on that and, and different things. And, and now that doesn't mean that in the cage, you know, Hey, if that, if in the, in the cage is, I should say not on the field, but that doesn't mean we're not doing certain things there, but you know, it's more of game like and competitive spirit and, and things like that. So that you can react to that high level pitching in a game. And again, that doesn't mean that there isn't a time and place for, Hey, let's get you on a tee. Let's let you feel good a little bit here. Let's work on this. Let's, let's isolate this particular movement and let's do it. But again, and I mean, this as a compliment. You watch Hunter Pence hit. There's not one person that would teach that style of hitting, but what he does is he competes. Mm-hmm. And so if it really doesn't matter what your, you know, to a certain extent, what your mechanics look like, you have to be able, your body has to be able to organize itself and do it. So it's kind of been a, in the last three years, it's been an evolution for me to get away from, you know, kind of that old school approach to this is where the game is going. And now the challenge has been you get guys coming in and, and you educate them on it and then they're all bought in on it. And then when the season starts, you know, if they struggle for a while, it's a very easy thing for them to go to and say, well, that was the reason why I struggled. And so, yeah, you know, then you have another thing that you're working on and, and trying to get them to understand. So I don't know if that answered your question, but that's kind of how we set everything up. No. And, you know, I've <laughs> I've thought about this for a long, long time, even before I started the podcast about how 40, 40, 40 BP. And it's, you know, you got a 40 year old guy throwing 40 miles an hour at 40 feet. And it just, it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to, if we're like you mentioned, they're, they're going to see 93 on the weekend and they're seeing 40 miles an hour all week long. It, it's tough. But also like I, an example, like I had a, one of our guys tell me, well, hitting off the machine messes up my timing. And I'm like, okay, well, if it's, if it's about timing, then why do you do front toss flips from underhand? Mm-hmm. Cause that, that's not game like timing either. Right. You know, and, and again, it's, it's not a matter of trying to go see you're wrong. It's trying to get them to understand and learn why this is a better way. No, definitely. And I'm sure it was absolutely like trying to pull teeth whenever you started to, uh, to implement some of that stuff too. Yeah. It was, re- you know, it was really hard. Most of the guys bought in in the fall where it, where it became an issue is again, you know, we, we got about a month into the season and you got guys are getting, you know, 50 something at bats and their, their average isn't where they need, where they want it to be. Or, and so instead of it, instead of them really looking at, okay, what is this about? Is this about my mechanics or is this about 
my mental game. And, you know, again, that's where I say I think the biggest mistake so many young players make is it's all about mechanics. Let me see video. Let me go work on the tee. Let me work on this mechanically. Give me a great drill. Those are all good. That, again, I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things, you know, but again, you can have the best mechanics, the cleanest mechanics. And if you can't slow the game down, if you can't have a plan, if you can't commit to it, if you're not present for that pitch, you have no shot. Right. Right. No, definitely. Again, to your point, the more that, that they see that stuff in practice, the better that they're going to react in a game. And, and I think all coaches, we, we collectively need to make sure that they're not going to see something in a game that's harder than what they see in practice. And, and that's the stance that I've been trying to take is, and, and it's a hard balance because like you mentioned, you want them to have confidence, but you also want them to be prepared. And so what, what percentage should we be doing really, really hard BP versus comfort BP? And it's, it's, you have to understand the feel of your team. So I, I, I love that. I remember uh, a buddy of mine telling me the story about, he was on the field for BP before a, a Giants game and he was talking to one of their, I think, mental game guys or whatever. And, and there was a group coming from the batting cages to hit on the field. And he's like, oh, where are those guys coming from? And he's like, oh, they're coming from the dungeon or whatever. And he's <laughs> like, yeah, they, they hate what we do in there. And what they were doing is, is that they were firing the machine up to, you know, big time velocity. And they were forcing the guys to take some, like take three swings, move up, take. So, you know, and he's like every single guy, and, and these are big leaguers. These are the best of the best. They, and like every single guy hated it, hates that drill. But it was, it was the year after they won the world series against the Royals. And he said, you know, we've done this drill now. We, we did it last year. And he's like, I'm just telling you, in my opinion, you know, it's one of the reasons why we were able to compete against the Royals bullpen. And that was when the Royals, the year before they won it and the year they won it, the Royals had, you know, they, they were kind of the, one of the first teams to go, all right, hey, our starter is going to give us four or five. And then we're going to just one inning you to death with high velo slider guys. And, and, you know, and, and the Giants felt like that's one of the reasons why they were able to do so well against them. No, definitely. But Coach Cooper, uh, you know, it's it's a pleasure to have you on. And I've got a couple more questions for you, sure. especially, you know, from your own personal growth and some advice that you would give to other coaches. But, you know, I, I have aspirations of one day being a head coach. And so if you had if you could go back and tell your first year head coach something or if you, you know, if you could tell all the listeners what you wish you had known before becoming a head coach, what would that be? Man, that's a great question. And there's there's so many things, I think, first and foremost you need to be willing to really trust yourself. And because I don't care how much success you have early on as a head coach, there is going to come a point in time when you start out as a head coach where you have some adversity and you are going to completely not trust what, you know, believe in yourself and you're not going to believe in the stuff, you know, and it's going to make you completely reevaluate, you know, or, or if you're not smart, it'll make you go, man, do I even know anything? And it's just real important to, if you believe in your process and you believe in the way you're treating your players and, and, you know, you're consistent with it, then you got to stay the course. And, you know, I mean, it's very similar to, uh, Hey, look, I'm getting ready to go into my 15th year as a head coach. And, you know, again, I, I said earlier, we haven't had good, good seasons the last two years from a win loss perspective. Well, now is not the time to completely reinvent the wheel. It's not like I need to make sure that the things that I, I know that work, the things that I believe in, that we double down on those. Cause if you have a strong process and you double down on it, then you're going to be fine. And so that's, so that's one. I think one of the things that I, I really wish I, I would have known was, I guess I knew it, but until you're really in it, you don't. And that's just, Hey, it's not going to happen overnight. And you got to just, you got to stay with it. And the guy that you in the fall that you think is never going to help the team or, you know, this guy probably shouldn't be here or, you know, he's not going to be an impact guy for us. You know, you just never know if somebody truly buys in how much better they can get how, how or what their role can be. And so, you know, my thing is to, to wait as long as you possibly can. Don't give up on a guy. Mm -hmm. And now, Look, there are times where you have to because the that person is has made it where you know they're not they're not doing the necessary things. But you know, 
I go back to kind of what we said earlier. If, if I'm going to only take care of you and like you when things are going well and you're playing well, and then when you're not, you know, I'm, I have no time for you. Well, then the truth is I never cared about you in the first place. Right. And all I cared about was what can you do to help us win games? And, and look, you know, we, we're, you know, especially at this level, we're judged on wins and losses. So winning is important, but it's also, you know, again, you look at like Oregon State this year and those teams that made a great run, like how close those teams were and how close those coaching staffs were. So I think the biggest thing is just not giving up on a player, you know, too, uh, too early. And, and then the last thing is, is let your assistant coaches coach, let them have responsibility, coach the coaches too. Like I know there's, there's, there's some successful head coaches out there that do everything and they basically have assistants to recruit and throw BP. I just, I'm not smart enough to do that. And I just never been that way. You seem like a guy that's continually learning. And so share with us, you know, what's the latest thing that, that you've learned that you're really excited about? Well, you know, we just hired, and, and again, this is, we're, I still think we're ahead of the curve a little bit, but we're behind it mm-hmm. from some of the better, some of the, the upper echelon programs. But we just hired a director of baseball operations and player development. And, so he's going to coordinate all of our, you know, technology use, analytics use. And those aren't, that's not something that replaces hard work and good players, but it's something that I feel like can make us work smarter. That can make us, Hey, this is something you're doing, you know, and, and we can, we can help you. Here's, here's the data that shows it. And here's why we need to make this cho- change. It's going to help us in positioning and scouting and, and things like that. So. I'm really excited about that because that's something that, you know, quite frankly, in a lot of ways is over my head. And so I'm not afraid to, to say I need to learn more about it and I need to understand it and I need to to read it. And so to have somebody here who really understands that stuff and can slow it down for me, it, it's been it's something I'm, I'm, I'm geeked out about, really, to be honest with you, because I think it's going to make our jobs more challenging so that we can implement some of this stuff to improve our players. I think it's going to help keep our players healthy. And then I also think it's going to give us an advantage on the field and as far as development, but also in scouting. So I'm, I'm really excited about, you know, the use of even I mean, we use, you know, we've used hit track and some different things like that, but now it's going to be even more encompassing and I'm, I'm excited about it. Definitely. And yeah, the older I get, the the more that I don't believe that data is a dirty word. I know I used to believe that, but now it's it's like it. Whatever we can use to make the players better, you know, let, let's do that. So that's that's fantastic. That'll be a lot of fun to see y'all's growth in that. Well, again, and look, I I love our sport. I love baseball, and I never I never played. I barely was good enough to play in college, but I never played professional baseball. So, I, and again, the, at the end of the day, the human element, the player itself, and it comes down to competing and 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 making good choices. But why wouldn't you want information that can help you? Mm-hmm. And again, I go back to, you know, we're the only sport that has fought that. And, you know, you look at, you know, people used to laugh at Billy Bean and the A's about, oh, Moneyball and all this. Well, it, a lot of it worked. Now, that movie makes it sound like those guys weren't any good. Last time I checked, Barry Zito was pretty darn good and Tim Hudson was pretty good and <laughs> Miguel Tejada was pretty good. So they had good players. But that information can help. And again, I go back to if Bill, you know, if Bill Belichick thought that getting something, some information, some statistics, and he could learn it and digest it and understand that this could help the team in the long run, he's going to use it. But our sport fights it. And I, I just, I don't, I mean, think about this. And, and again, I know there's a lot more that goes into just being a good baseball guy, you know, but if there's relationships and understanding the grind about, about professional baseball. But why is it that baseball is the only sport that a guy can't go from the college level and manage in the big leagues? And yet in football, it happens all the time. In basketball, it happens all the time. It, it just, to me, it, it, it just shows that we're very closed off in a lot of ways and, and you've got to be willing to, you know, to get better. I mean, I, I, another perfect example of it is, you know, I, I got to coach Trevor Bauer on the USA team back in, in, uh, 2009. That's about kind of the early stages of, you know, the, you know, the Texas baseball ranch and mm-hmm. Florida baseball ranch and, and driveline and kind of them really becoming popular. And so Trevor Bauer would, 
you know, who travel with this, you know, body blade and, and would play long toss like crazy. And, you know, I mean, and guys on the team would look at him and go, this dude's crazy. And I just remember, you know, looking at it, watching him and he was so involved in this process, but it, it turned off a lot of his teammates. Well, now everybody does it. And, you know, now, and look at Trevor Bauer. He's a, an all-star and he's, he's doing well in professional baseball because he's stuck with that plan. Now, I also think that he's, you know, done a really good job of being a good teammate and being somebody that guys can count on. And that's, so that, that's where that human element comes into it too. You can't just be married to one thing and not realize your impact on people individually. But, you know, that was something that I remember, again, we're talking about over 10 years ago, you know, guys looking at him like he was crazy. And he what you know, whereas no, he was he was onto something. No, super sharp dude. He he just did a podcast with uh Jeff Jeff Passan and and it was it, you know, it, there were some expletives involved, but it was fantastic just to, yeah. to get the get to hear the mind of, of what Trevor was thinking. Did you actually did you listen to that? I haven't had a chance to listen to it. It's on my to do list. Uh but that doesn't surprise me about the expletives. <laughs> he uh yeah, he he's something else, but extremely bright. But let's talk about, I've got two more questions for you. And so let, let's talk about your players for a second. We're all looking for something to, you know, just increase buy-in and practice a little bit or just to change it up or or just something that, that makes them love to come. So what's something you guys do in practice that your kids just can't get enough of? You know, anytime we turn it into a game, like a, like a competitive game. So, and I don't mean a competitive baseball game. I'm talking about like, if I'm, if I'm working with the infielders and we go, all right, guys, look, here's the deal. You get a point for this. You get a point for that. Anytime you turn it into a game, they all turn into nine, 10 year olds, which is awesome. They get after it. They're competing. You know, they're, they're razzing each other and they're getting better while doing it. And so we try, we're trying like crazy to make things as game, you know, com- competition oriented, but we're, you know, there's points given, points taken away. So like, for example, we have a, a thing that we do with the infielders where we set up two cones and the infielder stays in it and stays in the middle of those cones. And, you know, if they feel the ball within those cones and, and make the right play, then they get a point or they, they, yeah, they get a point if they, but they can also say, Hey, I'll go, I'll double down and I'll go for two points outside the cones. And, and, but if you, if you miss one, you're knocked out. And so, you know, but if you double down and you get extra points, it allows you to stay in if you miss one or something. So. It's just different things like that that guys really buy into and, and get into. And and then one of the things that I'm going to try to steal from, you know, our football staff here is they'll have a guy, a player. So they'll have, let's say, a, a quarterback. Hey, you're coaching the quarterbacks today. Mm-hmm. Like you're not, you're not in pads. You're, you're like, you're, you're running that portion of practice. And so it's pretty cool to watch because you got guys that aren't, they just, they can't just stand around now. When somebody makes a mistake, they got to actually go. Hey, you got to do this. This is what we do. And so some guys really take to it and some guys don't, but the guys that really take to it, you see them really, you see them really become empowered that they, they actually understand why they're doing something. Well, and you coming from a, from a background of parents who are educators and, you know, going, having your master's degree and going through the education process as well, you know, this as well as I do, you don't, uh, you don't know it unless you can teach it. And, so I love that, and I love that you're throwing in some some stuff from the football staff because Coach Franklin is one of my favorite guys to follow that's not just a baseball guy. You know, he is the best. He really is. I mean, I can't tell you how much he's impacted my, you know, my life, my coaching, you know, philosophy. I mean, he's opened up the doors over there to, to allow me to see things that they do. I mean, even two years ago, just to give you an example, you know, we were struggling, and I got a call from him, and he said, Hey, you're not playing Tuesday night. And I said, nah. And he's like, what time's practice over? And I told him, he's like, great. I'm picking you up. We're going to dinner. And it was just basically like, what do you need from me? Hang in there, you know, and he didn't need to do that. And mm-hmm. that's just, that's the, that's the way he is. But he is all about relationships and all about committing to the, to the player and the individual. And, you know, it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that they're, that our program's doing well. And, and I'm just happy for him and his staff. And it's it um it's pretty cool. Oh, for sure. And so, Coach Cooper, you've given us a ton of new information. But if you had to boil down, you know, just a couple of resources or books or or people to go and reach out to and talk to, 
you know, give us just a couple of resources that have changed your coaching career. Wow. Well, <laughs> I think, you, you know, you, if you really want to understand the mental game, you know, reading Ken Revisa and Tom Hansen, their, their two books, Heads Up Baseball and then Heads Up Baseball 2.0, I think that's a must read mm-hmm. uh, for, for any coach, you know, and then I'm a big believer that, that you're influenced by, you know, the people you surround yourself with and the things you read. And so I think Legacy by James Kerr is a must read for every coach coach because it's about culture and it's about you know the like the all blacks new zealand rugby team and and they're basically they're the they're the dallas cowboys the new york yankees of australia like when you Mm -hmm. i mean new zealand when you when you go and like you fly into their airport you know there's pictures of the all blacks everywhere i mean that's they represent an entire nation they're they're rock stars uh but it's about taking care of themselves and you know they don't need other people to to watch out for them because they watch out for each other. It's about leaving the Jersey in a better place than, than when you received it. And so I think that's a, that's a must read book. I, so I, I love reading. I mean, right now mm-hmm. I'm, I'm big into like, you know, Daniel Coyle who did, I think the talent code. And then he also just did one called the culture code phenomenal reads. You know, there's just, there's, there's so many different books out there, but just, you know, read, find different ways, get different ideas. I think and one of the best things too is, you know, when you're reading these kind of books, like look and see where they got that information from. You can find great articles online because of that. and It dives deeper into it. So, but I think for me, it legacy is a, is a must, must read. And, and, uh, and then the, the two books by Ken Revisit and Tom Hansen. Being an avid reader, those would be on my list as well. And those are absolutely fantastic. Well, coach Cooper, I know you're a busy man and Again, thank you so much for taking the time to really open up all aspects of your program at Penn State, and and it, and it really was refreshing to hear you know all the different things that you were able to share with us. And I know there's a, a bunch of huge takeaways from this episode. But if anyone would like to reach out to you and and get in contact with you, is there a way that we can do so? Yeah, you know you can go right on the Penn go PSUSports dot com, and my my email's there. Anybody that wants to email me, please feel free. I'm, I'm obviously on Twitter and I, my kids are my IT guys, but I, I think it's at 16 Rob Cooper or at yeah. Rob Cooper 16, something like that. But yeah, I mean, I, I love learning from other people and look, I, I, I'm still trying to learn, you know, and so, you know, I think sharing ideas and, and asking questions is it's the only way we all get better. So I love it when people reach out. All right. Well, Coach Cooper, that uh, is really the end of our conversation. So is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? No, I just I appreciate what you're doing. I I think the content you're bringing, the type of speakers that you put on here, the the coaches that are on here, um, you know, it's a must listen for me. I I know (laughs) we just hired I I think I told you earlier, we just hired a director of baseball operations and player development. His name's Sean Moore came coming from Iowa and, and he said his his drive from Iowa to here. He just had your podcast loaded up and was banging them out. So yeah, that's awesome. You know, I just it's an unbelievable service that you're doing. And again, it's the best part about going to the convention, the ABCA convention, is when you get a chance. You know, when the day's over, and you get a chance to sit in, in the lobby or at the bar and, and you you listen to coaches talk baseball. And that to me is where I've learned the most. Doesn't mean the clinics aren't great. I love them. Learned a ton. But it's when you learn that that other stuff, and that's what you're basically bringing to people every day. So I, I appreciate it. I appreciate what you're doing for our coaching community. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. Before you go, I'd love to be able to get in touch with you, and we have several different ways of doing so. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AOTC underscore podcast. You can join the AOTC Coaches Facebook group And if you want to be a part of the mini clinic emails, both of those links are listed below. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review to help others find and stay ahead of the curve.